Welcome to the Career Zone podcast, where each episode we spend some time focusing on something that's on students' minds right now. I'm your host, Rachel, Employability and Careers Consultant with the University of Exeter. You can catch up on all of our episodes by doing all of those subscribing and following things. We're on Spotify and iTunes. Hi, my name's Steve, uh, Steve Wallace. I'm the Employer Engagement and Student Employment Manager for the Career Zone, and I am your host today for the Career Zone podcast. I am joined today by Hannah Sultan. So we're in conversation with Hannah, and we're going to be talking about top tips from a recruiter. So hi, Hannah. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely a pleasure on, on our side. So I thought it'd be quite good for our listeners to understand a little bit about your work history, what you've done previously, what you're doing now, and then we'll start with some questions. Perfect. Sounds good. So I'm a career coach with a background in recruitment. So I spent the first eight years of my career after I graduated working in graduate recruitment. So I worked at BT for five years, recruiting, sales, marketing, finance grads, a bit of a mixture. And then I worked at the law firm, Allen and Overy, for three years, leading their trainee recruitment. And then after that, I career changed and became a career coach and consultant. So I have my own business now where I specialise in helping graduates and early career professionals either land their first job or career change. And yeah, as you mentioned, I've just recently published my first book. So, yeah, that's a, a relief to have that out now quite an exciting thing to publish a book. Your book is called Graduate Careers Uncovered, I believe. Yes, that's right. So it's a, it's a, a bit of a mouthful, the full title. It's uh, Graduate Careers Uncovered, Tools and Insights from a Former Recruiter to Demystify Your Job Search. So it basically pulls together everything I've learned from working in graduate recruitment and as a career coach for graduates um, to offer insights and advice on recruitment processes, applications, interviews, but it also tries to address the more human element of careers. So it talks a little bit about mental health. It talks about resilience. It talks about how to manage imposter syndrome, because I think that there's, there's certainly a lot of pressure facing graduates today. So it, it tries to address the practical advice side of things, but also the more human personal element as well. Excellent. Well, that's going to be the topic of our conversation today. So a lot of things you've talked about, we'll, we'll kind of chat through through a series of questions and we might go off track at some point, but we'll try and keep to our, our question list. So the book is obviously in different chapters. There's different sections of the book. So what we've tried to do is put the questions into the sections. So we're going to start a little bit about self-analysis because you you kind of touched on that a little bit earlier on about getting to know yourself and you know looking at career planning and that sort of thing. So one of the areas we, we we talk about a lot within careers is mindset. Can you tell us a little bit about what you what your thoughts are on mindset and, and explain what it means and, and how do you go about developing your own? So for me, mindset is around it's, it's very linked to attitude. It's around choosing what kind of mindset you want to work towards. One thing I feel very strongly about is it's not about being positive all the time and pretending everything's great you know it's not about forced positivity but it's about making the effort to try and cultivate a growth mindset and a more forward focused mindset rather than overly dwelling on the past so the book gives guidance on how you can develop a growth mindset by focusing on things that you can control I think there's a real habit that a lot of us have when we're stressed or anxious about something to focus on the big picture and you know the scary news headlines and things like that 
but actually by focusing on the now, focusing on what you can control, focusing on your strengths rather than what you do less well, it can really, really help to shift it towards a more positive growth focused mindset. But yeah, it's certainly not about forced happiness or pretending that everything's rosy and sunny all the time. Okay, forced fun and forced mindset, not two things that um, sit well with me. So talking about sort of strengths and and skills, obviously, when you're going through the graduate recruitment process or any job application process, you you have to think about your strengths and skills and how that sort of maps to an employer. How do you find out what your strengths and skills are? If you're not aware, what sort of tips would you give for, for students to develop their their own knowledge of their own skills? The first thing that I would say is knowing your strengths and skills is so important. It's important not just for when you approach recruitment processes, but it's really important to help you work out what kind of career path you want to go in, what kind of roles you want to apply to. So it's worth investing a little bit of time up front, really identifying what they are. I also think it's important to understand the difference between a skill and a strength. They're often used interchangeably and some people use them to mean the same thing. And actually, what is a skill can also be a strength. How I differentiate between the two in the book is a skill is something you are able to do and a strength is something that you enjoy doing or something that comes naturally to you. So a skill, by definition, is something you've already had a little bit of experience in, something that you've had the opportunity to practice in. It doesn't address whether or not you enjoy it or whether you're a natural at it. It's just something you can do. Whereas a strength is more around what energises you, what do you enjoy doing? And a lot of graduate employers are moving towards focusing actually more on strengths than skills because they have recognised that by hiring graduates whose where their role aligns with their natural strengths, they're more motivated, uh, more productive, uh, are a better investment of a hire, really. Not all companies do that, so it's it's worth paying attention to when you've decided what companies you want to apply to, whether they have a skills or competency-based recruitment process or focus on strength, and it may be a combination of them both. To answer your original question about how can you identify what they are, I think that either doing it with someone else can be useful, discussing it with a friend, a careers advisor, a coach. But you can also get a lot of value from self-reflecting and and writing it out. So by actually just doing a bit of a brainstorm and thinking, what kind of activities do I enjoy doing? What skills have I got from my previous experience? So try not to keep it just in your head. I think it's useful to either work on it with someone else or to at least write it out and do some self-reflection to help identify that. There are some good online free tests as well. So if you have a little bit of a Google, you can sometimes get free strengths tests, which can be interesting food for thought. But it's obviously important that you run any test through your own knowledge and your own self-awareness. Excellent. That's good. Obviously, with the development of the of the Internet and particularly social media over the last sort of 10 years, probably you know, I've been at Exeter for 10 years. Social media platforms have, have boomed in that time. Your personal brand online is is really important now. Why is it do you think that is is so important now? And how do you go about developing your own personal brand? Because it's quite a no one likes to talk about themselves, do they? That's one of the challenges. <laughs> but how do you do that and make sure that your personal brand is a professional one that an employer would look at? Yeah, it certainly can be a bit awkward talking about yourself. And actually, a lot of people find it a bit icky to to think of themselves as having a personal brand. I know I certainly used to. 
But what I've come to realise is personal brand is really just a fancy way of saying the impression that you create. It doesn't have to be um, anything big or brash or bold. It's really just ensuring that you can know yourself and that you show yourself. So whether that is through social media, any blogging that you do, any content creation that you do, whether it's through your applications, interview stage or any networking that you do, having a strong sense of who you are and what you stand for can really, really help you to stand out and can help differentiate yourself from other people. So, again, I think it's really important that you know yourself, you know your strengths, your skills, you know your preferences, you know what you stand for, you know your values and what motivates you. And the clearer idea you have of all of that, the better able you will be to articulate that and to show that, again, whether it's on a CV or even just a conversation that you have with someone at a careers fair. I would advise everyone as a bare minimum to certainly check their own social media profiles, make sure that there's nothing wholly inappropriate that they don't want recruiters seeing. But one step further that you can go, which I talk about in the chapter in the book, is by not just restricting your your social media or your content, but actually trying to create stuff that's useful. And as you said, this has really exploded in the last few years doesn't mean you have to be an influencer. It doesn't mean you have to generate lots of really high quality, complicated content. But even just things like getting involved in LinkedIn, commenting on people's posts, supporting friends, following companies that, that interest you. These are ways that you can demonstrate who you are, what you stand for and what you're interested in. Yeah, I think LinkedIn's a, a really top tool for, for students and graduates when they're looking to develop their career. So commenting and, you know, liking something is one thing, but being able to add some content that actually means something is really, really important. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier about strengths and skills. You were talking about, you know, understanding your strengths and skills linked to an employer that you might want to apply for. So my next question really is about how do you research an employer? What sort of things should you do to to make sure that you're actually targeting employers that are fit for you and something that you would like to do as a job. How do you do that? So I think there's almost two layers of research. The first layer of research is to help you work out who you want to apply to. And the almost deeper second layer is when you're actually applying or interviewing and you almost want to dive into a firm more deeply. So I would say it's very easy to get overwhelmed when you start researching firms. A lot of them say similar things. There is a wealth of information out there, which is an opportunity, but can sometimes feel like a challenge because it can be information overload. So I would say try and have a plan. Try and have an action plan for how you want to approach research. Write down maybe the names of companies that you want to research. Give yourself a boundary. So, for example, you might say, I'm going to spend 10 minutes researching this firm. I'm going to spend another 10 minutes researching this firm because it can get to the point where you spend, you know, an hour reading about one firm and then you get to the end of the hour and you think, what have I actually learned? So try and break it down and and plan ahead. The other thing that I would suggest doing is making notes. So not making huge, long, extensive over the top notes where you write down everything that you read, but almost process what you're reading as you're researching and really pull out the highlights, pull out the bits that interest you, that excite you, or the bits that are almost like a firm's um, unique selling point that you can capture. 
and try and find a way to pull it all together. So you might have a, an Excel spreadsheet or a, a table of some sort where you almost try and sum up the firm's strategy or mission in one sentence and maybe their key departments. But try and find a way that you can capture the information that doesn't feel too overwhelming. The other thing that I would say is try not to do all of your research online, particularly when you're at the stage of wanting to apply or interviewing. One of the best ways of researching is by interacting with members of the firm. So whether that's a careers fair, an open day, whether it's attending a, a webinar that they're hosting, the more exposure you can give yourself to actual real people that work there, the more insights you'll gain into the culture, and it will really help you be able to, again, stand out, differentiate your application and be specific about why you want to work there. Motivation for industry and motivation for the specific company are two of the most important things you need to demonstrate on an application and an interview. And it's not about coming up with necessarily really wacky or unusual reasons, but they have to be true. They have to be authentic and you sometimes have to be quite specific. So whilst the basic reason might be quite general, for example, the training or the culture, if you can almost dive into a certain element of that or pinpoint what specifically about the culture really appeals to you, it can really help prove your motivation in recruitment processes. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I recruit a lot of a lot of students to work for us. Uh, we did have one student last year who did what you said about having an Excel spreadsheet and she had a fantastic spreadsheet of all the employers that she was looking at, was able to discount some of them based on her research and then came down to like a, a top list of the ones that she was really interested in. So our students are doing it. They are using that method. So that's really good. Talking about recruitment processing for different for businesses. So obviously you've worked for a couple of large graduate recruiters, BT and, and Alan and Overy doing graduate recruitment for them. Recruitment processes can be very similar. Um, sometimes they're slightly different. How, how do you go about finding out how they're going to recruit? What's their process? Are they doing interviews, application forms, assessment centres? What's a, a good way of being able to work that out? In my experience, companies are more transparent than they have ever been before about their recruitment processes. That is particularly the case with larger employers. It's not always the case with smaller employers. But what I would say is try and do your own basic, simple research as to what they are saying their process is, whether it's a CV, whether it's an application form, whether it's a video interview, etc. Look on their website. They will often outline that at a high level. If you can't find out or that information is not provided, I would try and focus on what the first step of the process is. So rather than almost worrying about step potential two, three, four, just think about the application stage, which is you know, the, the very first stage that you will be asked to complete. And I would say don't put pressure on yourself to know absolutely everything about all recruitment processes. It is overwhelming. There are a lot of different companies out there. Have your plan about where you want to apply. Try and also have a plan of when you want to apply. I think planning your applications is really important and almost break it down so that you are focusing on what you need to do for that application rather than trying to get a, a detailed handle of absolutely all the options out there. Because exactly as you say, it can be overwhelming. There are lots of different recruitment methods, but if you almost just break it down and take it one step at a time, it can help focus on taking action rather than feeling overwhelmed with, with all the different possibilities and choices. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Obviously, application processes for different companies do change and, and different companies work in different ways. When you're 
in a position where you're looking to apply and you're maybe completing an application form or maybe writing a CV and a covering letter and you've got your targeted list of employers that you, you know, you're keen to, to work for. Are there any tips that you would advise students to do to make sure that what they're sending, whether it be an application form online or whether it's a CV and a covering letter, really hit the mark and, and kind of get that employer to, to really notice you in, you know, in potentially a, a big selection of applications that they receive? Yeah, I mean, there are almost so many tips and, and bits of advice. And obviously, a lot of them are covered in my book. It's hard to kind of condense it all. But I would say the two most fundamentally important things, no matter how you're applying, one is knowing and showing your motivation. And the other one is knowing and showing your USP or what makes you a bit different or what makes you stand out. Now, sometimes clients that I work with panic a bit when I say unique selling point and say, oh, there's, there's nothing special about me. I don't have anything. Your USP, it doesn't need to be something incredibly rare or incredibly flashy. It just needs to be a representation of your personal brand. It needs to be what you are all about. Your USP might be some volunteering work that you've done. It might be an unusual hobby that you you have. It might be a, a club or society that you've set up or that you've had a leadership role in. It really doesn't need to be, you know, finding a, a cure for a disease. It can be something that is a little simpler. But knowing what you stand for, knowing what makes you different and knowing what your passion and motivations are is really, really important. So I would say those are the two most important things, knowing your USP and showcasing your motivation is really important. Yeah, as I say, I do quite a lot of recruitment at the university and I've done in previous careers as well before I worked in higher education. And one of the things that comes up quite a lot and it always impresses me when a candidate does it is whether they're able to articulate why they want to work for you. And when their application comes through or their CV comes through or their covering letter, it's tailored to my job and my business. You do see sometimes applications come through where they've named a competitor, maybe, and you're like, <laughs> you've not proofread that or thought about that process. So how tailored is it to, to my job? So Definitely. it does and, happen. And another, yeah. And another thing similar to that is often companies from a similar industry will have similar questions on an application form. So, for example, there might be a 250 word competency question about teamwork or leadership. It's really important to pay specific attention to the actual wording of each question rather than think, oh, I'll copy and paste my teamwork example. And the reason being is that companies know that the candidates do that and they want to feel like you've made a real effort for their application. So even if you do have a, a solid teamwork example that you have and perhaps repurpose for different application forms, make sure you tailor the structure and the language to the exact wording because if you're not answering the exact question that you're being asked it won't look like you are that passionate and motivated for that specific organization yeah i completely agree with the graduate recruitment market being as it is i mean just to give students an idea who are listening to this currently we're in end of october 2022 some students might listen to this in 12 months time we've currently got about 3,000 jobs live on our handshake platform so that's a lot of companies looking to do a lot of recruitment and if you're applying for a lot of jobs sometimes you're going to get rejected that happens part and parcel of the recruitment process so one of the key messages I get back from employers is around resilience and, you know, students need to be resilient. The graduates need to be resilient. Obviously, with multiple candidates going for the same role, that's going to happen. So 
how would you advise students to deal with that rejection? Because it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, you may be one of the lucky few who apply once, get a job, but you're probably going to get rejected at some point. So how do yeah. you deal with that? I couldn't agree more. I mean, even the best, I mean, not that there necessarily is the best, but even the best candidates will get rejected. And it's unfortunate and it can feel painful. It can feel really emotional, but it is so normal. And we live in a culture where we are all more likely to shout about our success stories, to shout about the progress we're making, to shout about the achievements. But there is so much else that goes on as well as that. There's all the rejections, all the mistakes, all the failures. So I would really just encourage everyone to remember that that is normal. It's inevitable. Resilience is absolutely a really important, can be a skill or a strength that a lot of employers look for. So how you bounce back from that rejection, how you deal with that failure is a real opportunity for you to build your resilience further. Linking back to what I said at the beginning about mindset, though, it's not about pretending that you don't care. It's not about ignoring that feeling. It's okay to feel disappointed. It's okay to feel frustrated. But it's almost how you manage that and move on that will set you apart from your competitors. So try not to see any kind of temporary success or failure as proof that you are or aren't good enough. If you are really dedicated to something, if you are really motivated, then you need to keep going and you need to keep moving towards what that goal is. Of course, it's painful and it can feel all of those things that I've said. But the more failure you experience, often the more we grow and learning from that rejection and not almost fighting that feeling, I think, is is a useful thing for people to remember. Yeah, I think learning from rejection. I used this anecdote a little while ago with a, a student who was working for us about job searching and they were suffering with a lot of rejections and I said I remember when I first started on the job hunting was a long time ago I was rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected but it's what you learn from that you know do you ask for feedback do you get feedback do you take that on board are you open to that feedback it's, it's it is really important and just yeah. it will make you better the second time you apply you'll be better than the first time because there'll be things that you might have done maybe not so well in the first application that you'll not do in the second one so yeah. the more rejection will probably make you better in the long run Definitely. And the other thing that I would say is very often candidates assume if they get rejected, they did something wrong. They assume that if they get rejected, they're not good enough. And that is categorically not true. Sometimes that might be the case, but more often than not, it's just a really competitive process. And I know that might sound frustrating, but it's the reality. There is not always a huge significant reason why your application gets rejected Sometimes, you know, a huge amount of people apply to a small number of vacancies. Sometimes there are more suitable candidates earlier on that applied. So learning from your rejection, getting feedback where you can is really, really important. But almost don't assume that there's a big red flag or something that you have done wrong just because you've not progressed that time with an application. Yeah, I think that's that's really true. Often I recruit for roles and we've got one role and I might interview I might interview six people, three of them might be perfectly able to do that role. I can only offer it to one. And then you've got two candidates that you have to give feedback to. And you're you're thinking, if I could recruit three, that'd be great. But I can only recruit one. And companies are in exactly the same position. They have a finite amount of jobs and they have a finite number of candidates. And once they fill those roles, doesn't necessarily mean you've done poorly. It just means that 
on this occasion that someone has maybe performed slightly better. So, yes, just try not to take things too personally, I think, is the key to it. One of the things that came up, I was having a conversation with an employer at our careers fair recently. We had one a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that came up was the subject of multiple job offers where you've got graduates applying or students applying for jobs and they get offered a role at a company and then three weeks later they've gone through recruitment process for another company at the same time and they get a, another job offer so what would be your best advice to handle that type of situation because it is it's much more prevalent than it ever used to be um, it used to be you get one graduate job you take it and that would be it but now people are getting more than one which is yeah. great but how do you handle that yeah it's completely agree it is happening more and it it's something that I address in my book actually and almost run through a few different scenarios and how to handle them. What I would say is the most important thing is communication and transparency. You know, you have to try and adopt an element of maturity and professionalism when you're in this situation. Companies understand that sometimes situations change. So I would say Try and be clear up front about who your preferred employer is, about which roles are your preference. And if you are in a situation where you receive two job offers at the same time, it's important to not rush to sign a contract and to you know, ask if you can have a little bit of time to reflect and make sure that you're making the right decision before you go ahead. It's quite hard to give too much advice because obviously scenarios are very, very different. But one thing that I would really recommend avoiding is just ghosting an employer. I've seen this happen in my career. And I think sometimes students or graduates panic and just don't want to offend them, don't really know what to say. So just completely disappear. And that's really not a good approach. So I'd say try and be honest, try and be transparent. If you are going ahead and signing a contract, be clear on what that contract is. But if situations change and you need to let an employer know that, try and be mature, have an honest conversation. And, you know, even if it is a bit awkward or a little bit difficult, it's the right mature thing to do. And you avoid burning bridges with an employer that you may well want to work for again in the future. Good advice. And it does happen more than ever before. It's a good position for a student or a graduate to be in with multiple job offers. It means you've done something really, really well to get to that point. But I totally agree. Being mature and professional about the approach that you take to handling that is is really key. So moving forward slightly, as a graduate or a student, you, you've secured your job. You've got the job that you've researched really well. You know the employer that you want to work for. You've gone through the recruitment process and all of that has gone well and you've been offered that job and you've started. Is that it? Is that where you're kind of career planning finishes or or what would you advise for for people once they've started in their first role to kind of continue to develop? So there's a a later chapter in my book called Future Proofing Your Career which is basically just a fancy way of saying thinking ahead basically and not getting too complacent when you do start. It's one of those things I think a lot of people are quite guilty of it. Once we get a job, you know, we're really excited, we start and we kind of get sucked into to, to whatever that role is. I would really encourage everyone to always think about their career. And if it doesn't sound too negative, to always be contemplating what their next move might be, even if you don't end up doing it, even if you don't end up moving for a year, five years, 10 years. Jobs are fast moving now. Most people don't want a job for life. And so I think it's really important to always be open and be interested in the world of work, different careers, what your next step might look like. And one of the best ways you can do that is by networking, even when you're not actively looking for a job. 
networking is one of those things it's got a bit of a bad reputation I think a lot of people associate it with big corporate events and schmoozing and sucking up to people whereas actually networking is really just about connecting in conversation so whether that is just staying in touch with your uni friends hearing about their experiences learning about what their jobs are like whether it's about posting occasionally on LinkedIn or you know even adding the people that you work with I think it's a really good idea to stay visible and stay connected and to always think if and when my next move might come up what might that look like and it's a lot easier when the time does come if you have been managing and maintaining relationships during the, the time of work. Yeah I think the networking side is so important you know I've been working in higher education for 10 years and I like to try and keep connected to my colleagues at different different places of work whether there are other universities doing similar sort of work or whether they're working in graduate recruitment because you never know when that one person that you have a connection with in five, six years time suddenly happens to be the most important person in the recruitment selection process for a new job. So mm. being able to network and I guess develop your own professional development, you know, it's called CPD, continuous you know, professional development, being able to develop your skills whilst you're in a role, taking the opportunities that your employer offers you to upskill and, and pick up new bits and pieces that you might be able to use in a in your current role, but also in future roles. So yeah, I think there's a difference between employability and recruitability. And I think if you're able to plan your career ahead, then you know, you're more recruitable because you have that skill set that will allow you to look at other jobs. So I think we're probably near the end of this. Obviously for our students at Exeter, whether they are students or graduates and, and looking for those first roles, it is a tough market. It is a candidate's market at the minute. There are an awful lot of employers looking to recruit. What would be your kind of positive note to, to leave our students with when they're listening to this podcast? I think everything we've talked about so far has been, it's been positive. Mm -hmm. what, what would you suggest would be the sort of top tips, one or two maybe for students yeah. to take on board from this? So in terms of top tips, I would say, have a plan, whether you are researching employers, whether you're applying, try and come up with a simple action plan that you can follow. It is really easy to get overwhelmed. It's really easy to feel quite stressed, especially if you are balancing applying for jobs with your uni work. So try and come up with a little roadmap yourself about where you're going to apply and when to help keep you focused. The other thing that I would say is seek help if you do feel that you need it, whether you are feeling burnt out, whether you are feeling just stressed from, from the pressure, try and talk to other people and seek help if you, if you need it. And the other thing that I would say is just stay connected to other people, whether that's employers at careers fairs, whether it is attending open days, try and learn and be curious I think curiosity is a really underrated quality and being interested and wanting to absorb lots of information and new experiences is, is often really valued from employers in their hires I would also say try not to panic if you don't know exactly what it is you want to do a lot of people don't know spend time getting to know yourself but even when you start your first job, you may well find that it's not what you expected. And that's OK. A lot of people move roles. A lot of people change careers. So it's you're, you're not setting your path for life with the first job that you get after university. The last thing that I would say is 
practice raising your confidence as well, whether this is again through networking, whether it's joining a society or a club, try and stretch your comfort zone to help grow your confidence because confidence on application forms and an interview is a really, really good skill to develop. Confidence doesn't happen overnight, but the more effort you put in, the more your confidence will grow. And I think it's a really useful skill to have. Excellent. Nice positive end to the to the podcast. So I'd like to end by just saying thank you so much, Hannah, for, for spending the time to chat to me today. And hopefully our students and our grads who are listening to this will find it really useful. Thanks, Hannah, for, for joining us and sharing your insight and your top tips and sharing your expertise and experience with us. It's fantastic. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, one final thing, I do have a blog where I write lots of career advice, interview tips, things like that. So if you go to hannahsultan.co.uk slash blog, there's a lot more interview tips, application tips there as well. I have read your blog, Hannah, and it is very <laughs> good. So well done. Excellent. Thank you, Thank you for that. This was the Career Zone podcast brought to you by the University of Exeter Career Zone. Check out iTunes and Spotify to keep up with all of our regular releases. And if you'd like us to cover something else in another episode, just send us a message, hashtag CareerZonePodcast at UOE Careers on Twitter or at UOE Career Zone or at UOE Cornwall Career Zone on Instagram. And we'll follow up in one of the next episodes.